0: but I do know him well and I didn't say this uh, before the sermon this morning and I did want to mention this it's going to be very difficult obviously the transition and whoever's coming in after him it's going to be an extra hard time because what street is this church building located on
1: oh Williams that's yeah
0: okay so you're already naming streets after him It is an honor to be here this morning. I, I'm. If, if we. What's that? Yeah, mass. It doesn't have a smooth rain to it then. Does it? Uh, just a little bit about myself. If we have a chance to get to know one another, I'm a person that likes to just simply be transparent. I like to keep things real. You know, it's, it's easy to put on a certain shell, isn't it? It's easy to put on a certain persona for here, and then that gets stripped away and we put another one on for another place. And I really like to try to encourage myself and my family to just be who we are wherever we are, and that is to honor Jesus in whatever we do. And so, anyway, uh, this morning, the Bible class, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter... 1 Kings 15 And as you're turning to 1 Kings chapter 15 I just want to set this class up by By just telling you a little story Many years ago when we lived in Iowa I had the the honor of um, working in law enforcement I was a police officer for several years And eventually became a police chief for a year That's a whole other story But as I worked in law enforcement, we had continual training that we had to go about doing. I mean, it was constant. So we always stayed up on things, and we had scenarios that we did, live scenarios we did all the time, so that if and when something took place, we wouldn't have to stop and think, now, what exactly is it I'm supposed to do? Because we had to react in the proper way. We couldn't overreact. We couldn't underreact. We had to be ready for those moments. My point in this is this, that I think that that's a pretty good principle to follow through on when it comes to things in life, particularly when it comes to times when things don't go so well. What exactly is it that you have as your plan when things don't go as you plan? Do you have something, because remember, and I know you all know this, I picked up the all when I was down in Texas for two years, but that, I'm a Michigan guy, okay? But you all know this, that when, when times get tough, the emotions take over, right? And we don't necessarily think like we normally think. We don't normally act like we normally act. And because of that, sometimes then we react in a way that does not do anything good for the situation that we're in. sometimes it makes it even worse. So what is important for us to do is that when things are calm, to practice on a plan when things don't go as we plan. So that we know what to do even when we have those emotions going on. It's like breaking the emergency glass and the alarm goes on and we know exactly where to go even when we don't feel like it. Does that make sense? What we're going to do today in this class is a template for you to build on what to do when the plan in life doesn't go the way you plan. All right? So in First Kings, we need to set this up, and it's funny because it's, it's very similar, I think, in some ways to what we would view and how we would view the world that we're in now. I don't know how you go about, okay, can I ask for just somebody to read Scripture? Is that is that done here? Like, hey, listen, somebody read it. Okay? So, we're gonna pop in several scriptures right now to read just to set up the atmosphere of the context of the world. All right? So if somebody wouldn't mind reading, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 26. 1 Kings 15, 26, just nice and loud and proud. Yes. Excellent. Now verse thirty-four. Excellent. Chapter sixteen, verse seven. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, son of Hanai, against uh, mess it up. We see in a pattern here, evil, evil. You now verse 18, same chapter, chapter 16. Uh, and it happened
1: that when Sennacherib saw the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died because of the sins which he had committed in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and walking in the
0: way of Jeroboam and in his sins which he had committed in making Israel sin. Fantastic. Two more sections verse 25 same chapter oh my goodness One after the next. One king does evil. The next king, worse evil. The next king, worse evil. And they're building more temples and they're building more evil things out there. And the society around them, the religious world around them, buying into these alternative ways to worship whatever gods you want to worship. Sound familiar? I mean, we live in a world now with so many different gods that have been created by man, don't we? And let's face it, false gods have no power except the power that man gives the God. False gods have zero power unless a human being gives that false god life. And we have so many people who have bought into so many false gods and so many false ways that there's so much life now in the falseness. So much so that it's hard for people who know the truth to live in it because we face... Evil, temptation, difficulties all the time. This is the world they live in. And there's one more section before we get this all set up. Verse 30 reads And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So now we have this context where the current king Ahab, who's he married to? You don't, don't name the daughter Jezebel. I'm just saying, you have having a kid, don't do the Jezebel name. That just, it carries a bad reputation. So now we have Ahab, who's bought into the system of false gods. He's worse than all the others. He's building more temples. He's, he's having society live even looser than they've ever lived before. And he's married to a woman who despises the God of heaven. She wants to do away with with the truth if she had her way she would burn all the scriptures up so god's word didn't exist she wants to eliminate all the prophets so the word of god doesn't get out anymore she wants to put an end to this god and it sounds a little bit like what some people are trying to do to us and then there's this guy this guy who's a faithful person to the lord elijah Elijah, things have been going pretty good. I mean, this woman and the child and life and speaking to God, and he's a prophet. Life seems to be going pretty good, but it's tough because he knows that Jezebel wants to kill him. So this, this guy prays and prays and prays, and he wants the world, don't you want the world to turn to God? And so he's he's all about wanting to do something big. God, let's do something big. God says, all right, we'll do something big. And there's going to be this mountain experience of something big. And when it takes place, I want you to notice, and this is how it usually happens. Usually we have life going good, and we're like, man, this is good. And life's going good, man, life's going good. And then we think that we finally reach the peak, and everything in life now is going to continue to be that peak experience. And then Satan steps in and says, really? You think so? Have you had those experiences? where you're at the highest of heights and things are going great, and then all of a sudden somebody takes your legs out from underneath you? What's your plan? What exactly is it that you're going to do? Because I know people, I know people, and perhaps you do too, who have left the church. They've left the faith. They've walked away from the Lord. They're tired of Him. They don't want Him anymore. Why? Because when they had life experiences that were going really good, they thought, man, God is so good. But when they hit the bottom, they are like, I'm done. Has anybody here been to a place where you've just said, I'm done? I'm done. My marriage, done. My children, I'm done. My faith, I'm done. I'll still show up and I'm done. What do we do then? Watch the plan as it unfolds. In chapter 17, Elijah predicts this drought. Chapter 18, there's the story we have to fast forward, I know. We've got Obadiah in the meeting with Elijah, and he's sort of a compadre that Obadiah works underneath the king. And then we get to verse 20 of chapter 18. Chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel, brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Just a little side note that's not a bad question, and every once in a while, in the right context, to ask somebody that you know. Which direction are we going? Are we going to worship God? I mean, are we really going to seek him out and, and be his? Or, or are we just going, to, we're just going to buy into what the world sells? And the, whatever, pick the, the idol of your choice, the, the fantasy of your choice, the selfishness of your just just do what you want. But which one are we going to do? Let's not do in the between. What does it say in Revelation chapter 3? I'd rather you be hot or cold, but don't be. Because what does Jesus do to lukewarm? He vomits it out. So I love the way he puts this. I mean, just choose. Which way are you going? Church, which way are we going? And so the choice is there, and he wants these people to see the power of God so the choice is much easier. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone have left the prophet of God, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen. Let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it in the wood, but I will... Uh, But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put fire under it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of God, my God, and whoever answers the fire, he is God. And all the people answered and said, man, that's a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourself, prepare it first, for you are many. Call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. I have to ask again, how much power does the power of Baal have? The power of Baal only has power that human beings put into it. And I hope you remember that because we have a power that's greater than any false god because our God is true and real. We have to remember that people have elevated things that have no power whatsoever, but we do. And if we unleash the power, the full power that God has blessed us with, with truth and love and kindness, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we unleash the power of the Spirit through the fruit that He gives us, we can show people the difference between what true power is and what a false God is. And so they go ahead and they do this and they prepare verse 26. They took an ox, which was given to them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar that they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, well, call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Rather, he's occupied or gone aside or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep, he needs to be waking up. So they cried with a loud voice and they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And it came about when midday was past that they had raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me, so that all the people came to him. And he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed, Then he arranged the wood, cut the ox into pieces, laid it on the wood. And he said, fill your four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. Verse 36. Then it came about at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice the prophet came near and said, "O oh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Today let it be known that you are God, the God of Israel, and that I am your servant and that I have done well, and these things are your word." So without reading anymore, because we have a lot to cover here, what happens next? What happens next? God does what? Yeah. Filled with water and yet causes the fire. Burns it all the way up, doesn't he? Another little side note. Why in the world do we doubt the power of God? I mean, really, why in the world are we doubting the power of God? Especially when we're facing such, such odds, 450 false teachers, and then there's just one teaching the truth. And then all the world is just in between. I don't know, God, Baal, whatever. And then God shows his power. And here's the thing. What happens after the fire takes place? What's Elijah's mood? He goes out, and he's partying now, and he's going to do away with the false prophets. Let's wipe these things out because God has shown himself. Obviously, the job that I had asked, the big thing I've asked from God, it's a big deal. The world has seen who God is, and of course they're going to choose God. So let's get rid of these false Teachers, let's set up the altar again. Let's make sure that we're going to be all in, because these people are going to be all in for God. And I'm sure even Ahab and Jezebel, they're, they're going to hear about this amazing thing. They're even going to turn to God. I've changed the whole world. The whole world's going to worship the God of heaven again. Don't you think? That's what he was thinking. So much so that he ran faster than the chariot. He is so excited about what God has done, and he feels that he's at the peak of his ministry. But then, verse 1 of chapter 19. Now, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. And now look what he did. Verse 3, and he was afraid, he arose, and he ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down underneath what? A juniper tree. Point number one. In your plan, in case of emergency, where you go from being high and mighty and things are going well, and then your world is swept away and your emotions are all upside down and you're feeling horrible and you're afraid of things and you want to run and you want to hide and you just want to say, that's it, I quit. Step number one, know where your juniper tree is. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's the place that you have already predetermined to have that place of quiet, of rest, of away from people. It's just going to be you. It's going to be you and God, and it's going to be a place that you do step number two. I'm going to be refreshed physically with sleep, with water, and with food. I'm gonna get my body re energized because doesn't, doesn't food matter, diet matter? If I ate, and I would like to, 68 of those cookies that are sitting out there, you know what that sugar would do to me? I'd be even more livelier than I am now. <laughs> food matters, nutrition matters. And so for us, we need to get our mind and our body and our soul. Recalibrated. We've got to get away to a place where we know that it's quiet and it's just us and we're feeling bad and we're going, our mind is racing, but we know that this thing we're gonna do is I'm gonna eat right, I'm gonna drink some things that help me get back to balance. Watch what happens. Verse 4 again in the middle. So we sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. That's the attitude. And said, it's enough now, Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept under a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him. And he said to him, arise and eat. And then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of food for 40 days. Step three, know that you're not going to stay under the juniper tree. And by the way, this is a place that far too many people stay. They go, they're depressed. They shut themselves down, they lock themselves out, and then they just stay there. Isn't that true? Church, I have been there. I, I know exactly what it's like to have the type of things happen in my life that I just wanted to shut all things down and shut all people down and get away because I wasn't even worthy to be around them. I didn't want them to be bothered by me. I didn't want to have to deal with any pressure. I didn't want to deal with any people. I didn't want to explain anything. I just I was becoming a different me, and it wasn't a good one. And that's that's Elijah. Here's a prophet of God out there doing powerful and mighty things, preaching the good news about God, and then goes from that to shutting down saying, I just want to die. Take me now. Church, if we're going to be transparent, if it hasn't happened to you, it has happened to somebody you know. You know people perhaps are in the stage right now that have shut down and isolated themselves, and they need help. And so here's... Step four, Elijah goes off to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. What's another name for Mount Horeb? Mount Sinai. He goes back to where it all begins. He goes back to where it all begins. The law is given. God and the mountaintop experience that somebody had, what was his name? Went over the mountain, got the law. Oh, that's right. So the fourth thing you and I need to do is go to the place where your faith started. Go to the people that that were instrumental in helping you become who you are today. The people who you can trust with great words of wisdom and great strength and security where they can take the chaos going in your mind and your heart and be there with a calming voice and an ear to listen. Because step number five we're going to see is you can vent to the people that you trust because you know that they're not going to take what you vent out to somebody else. You and I need to have the type of people we can trust to strip everything down and just be who we are and not be afraid and ashamed of the place that we're at where they're going to pass judgment on us and they're just going to cast us aside and just walk away from us. They need to stay the course and help us. Do you have people of faith like that in your life? Your warriors, by the way, Jerry Tallman. Sorry. I hadn't cried yet since he died. Jerry Tom Jerry Tom was one of my one of my faith warriors. Man, I vented some stuff to him. Disappointments and failures, concerns. And not once did he say, "Well, you're right. You're a failure. You should just quit." He listened. And notice what happens here. Somebody want to start reading because my eyes are all watery. And I will rudely interrupt you somewhere along the line. Somebody want to pick up verse 9, please. Thank you, honey. This wasn't pre used, was it? No, okay. Verse 9, please, somebody. Isn't that a great question to start with? What are you doing here? All right, so you did this amazing thing on the mountain, and you had this terrible experience, and then you ran, and you hid, and you slept, and you ate, and you drank water, and now you were led to come back to where your faith, really, the origin of faith begins. So you come to me. What are you doing here? What do you want from me? It's a great question to ask yourself in this process. What is it that you're trying to get to? Do you want to get back to the mountaintop experience? Do you want to get back to serving the Lord with all you are? What are you trying to get out of this? And I'd like to suggest that, by the way, that's what we want. That we want to get back to being mighty warriors for the kingdom. And a little side note again. It's unfortunate, but there seems to be fewer and fewer mighty men and women of faith these days. And there's a need for revival, church. There's a need for revival of people to be like an Elijah, ups and downs, but coming back and saying, you know what, I am all in again. Because people need folks like us to see what a faith warrior looks like. We can change the world, church, with the power of God. So the first thing is there. He's there with God. God says, So what are you doing here? Verse ten. Go ahead. He said, I've been very jealous for the God of hosts. For the people of Israel are
1: forsaking the public, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, have loved, and they seek my life to
0: take it away. Boy. Step five. Am I right? Step five? Six? Thank you. vent let her rip tater chip and i mean empty yourself out in this in this moment where you're with the person that you can trust and i'm telling you tell them everything if there's the sin that you've committed, if there's the depth of sin that you've committed, if there's the panic and the fear, you let that thing out. And by the way, another little side note, if you are married, make sure that the person or people that you have as your faith people to go to, that your wife or husband trusts them too. Why? Because you may need to vent and say some things about the wife or about the husband, about the marriage that needs to be put into a trusted set of hands and a trusted heart so that that person, the spouse, who isn't venting, knows that what is said stays with them. So vent away. And notice, God has an answer. Verse 11.
1: They went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him
0: said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Isn't that an awesome question? The next step is this Step outside and just spend a moment looking around and seeing the awesome presence of God. I think far too often we pass by the beauty of the birds and the bees, the rocks and the trees. Far too many times we take for granted the world that we live in. And out here in Waterford, you know what you have a lot of out here? Water. I mean, it's amazing. We were driving around yesterday going, hey, there's another lake. Well, there's another lake. And the scene and the scenery was beautiful. God's presence is everywhere. His power and His beauty is there. And if we just allow ourselves to step outside and allow that breeze to overcome us and just imagine that breeze being the breath of God, overcoming us and just wrapping Himself around us, what a beautiful thought that is in the scene of I've gone from being Shutting down, depressed, juniper tree, getting my nutrients, getting my rest, getting my liquids in me, going to my faith hero people that I can talk to and vent to. And I vent and I tell them everything and I empty myself in that way. And then I need to go out and just go, God, I can see you. I want to feel you. Oh, you are here. Doesn't our Lord say, I will never forsake you? Doesn't he say, I'll always be with you? I don't know. Maybe this is not taught here. And if it's not, please forgive me. But when you are baptized into Christ, what do you receive? And where does he dwell? Where you go, he goes. Man, if we had time right now, we're going to have a long class. If we had time right now, I'd go to Romans chapter 8. And talk about the beautiful power of God in you and what he's doing and what he wants to do. We are never alone. And so being reminded of that in this fleshly world, to see and to experience, God, you are here. Now, what's next? Verse 14. I'd like to suggest that the tone, this is just my personal opinion, the tone of what he says here, repeating his venting, is different. At first it was a crying out, I'm lost, I don't know what to do, God. I think this second one is more conversational, like, Lord, it's just me. What, What do I do now? So, so, so now I've been restored, I've, 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 I'm ready to go, but I, these, the reality of the world, once I step back into the reality of the world, is still the same. I can go be a part of this isolation thing, and it's nice and safe, and I've, I've been restored. But, but God, there's a world that's still waiting out there with the same problems and issues. Don't you find that to be true? So even if you once catch your breath and get ready to be restored, now you need a plan to get back into action. And so here's the next thing he does.
1: Thank you.